Hi guys, Liberty Lovers, welcome to this very special edition of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Tom Laird, and also with my co-host, he's not big but he is very clever, <laughs> Anthony Samara. Uh, we are the Richard and Judy of the Libertarian Podcasts, and um, we have today a very special guest on the show. We are thrilled and slightly aghast to have uh, Dominic Frisbee, um, actor, comedian, uh, and uh, voiceover man Persuivant, and he's made some time to come and talk to us today. Uh, Dominic, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Hello, Tom. Hello, Anthony. Lovely to be here. Great stuff. And great to meet you yesterday, or day before yesterday. It was. The day before yesterday yes. at your show. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing a, a show at the Fringe. It's called uh, Let's Talk About Tax. That's right. Uh, weighty subject. Um, first of all, tell us, give us, give us your resume. Tell us a bit about yourself, and then tell us about the show. Well, um, I. I, I my kind of day job is is actor doing voiceover stand-up comedy and I've done okay. that for a long time and then in about 2005 I had a bit of money and uh, I wanted to invest it and I started reading and, and, then I, and actually more effective than the reading was listen, listening to a lot of podcasts, particularly yeah. American podcasts. Yeah. Very good way to transmit information podcasting by the mm. way and I'm already finding myself getting sidetracked but I find... Um, the human brain is wired to take in information yeah. through the ear. Yes. That's how we pass. Yes. We've always naturally passed information. Yeah. And reading is like a little bit artificial almost. It was a way of passing information across distances. And the, I don't think the brain absorbs it quite as well as no. it does when you hear it in the ear. And I think that's one of the reasons why pop, podcasting is so popular because you can just absorb a huge amount of information yeah. very yeah, quickly. And I, I'm definitely an auditory learner and most of my information from economics came from podcasts before I started reading books. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a similar experience. I've done it the old-fashioned way. All the stuff, a lot of the stuff I learned was from cassette tapes. And when I was in my uh, car, I used to listen to yeah. long journeys. I, was, I used to be a salesman at one time. Okay. So that's how I learned. You know? So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And the, the, there was a time when they first came out, podcasts were really popular. They kind of died a little bit, and now they're making a comeback yes. again at no small measure due to us, I'm absolutely yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bit like a, uh, often um, new technology does that kind of wave on a stock chart if you look at a chart yeah. of, I don't know the Nasdaq and you've got that big boom into 2000 and then a kind right. of collapse and then the, the next big boom anyway so listen I was listening to a lot of stuff 2005-2006 and it and one of the areas where I wanted to where I was persuaded that was a good investment at the time was in gold right. and of course gold is a very political mm. investment so yeah. the more you started finding out about gold and you suddenly realised how our system of money works and how corrupt the whole thing and all the injustice it creates and so on and so forth and I just started reading more and I got completely hooked and found myself getting more and more cross at the way everything worked and there seemed to be a lot of Americans who were onto this. But yeah. There seemed to be a lot more ignorance. Less in Europe, yeah. Uh, over here, and so gradually, and then I started my own podcast, an investment podcast, at one stage. Just basically, it was an excuse to meet people uh, without, you know, because yeah. everyone's promoting their own brand. And so yeah, it became, yeah. Um, it became a very good. I mean, in fact, there's no better way of meeting people than through, right. you know, interviewing them. And and the podcast grew, and then one um, lady called Merrin Somerset Webb, who writes for Money Week, she was one of the people I interviewed, and she said, oh, we need people to like you to come and write for us, so she offered me a column for Money Week, and then a book came, and then, so basically I employed all my skills that I had from comedy and voiceovers, mm -hmm. and started to use them in economics, and it's now my kind of mission to try and tell people how the world works, how they've been conned, 
um, and and put it try and put it all in a language that people understand. Yeah. What was right. your What was your political background or any political background before that? Well, I come my my dad and his brother are both quite political men, but right. they're kind of I can remember in the was it in the eighties in the mid eighties when the SDP formed, and I would have been in my early teenage years. Yeah, the Gang uh, of Three. And yeah, all the that, Gang yeah. of Three. And my dad was like, this is brilliant. This is going to sort out the Labour Party. Mm. The Labour Party's vid, not unlike now with Michael mm. Foote uh, then, yeah. uh, rather than Corbyn now. But, you know, the Labour Party's gone too far. He's, so he was quite passionately centrist left. Okay. Um, and now he votes Lib Dem. Right, okay. And um, so, but, you know, he's quite politically active. And he, he says, I can't believe I've given... I've spawned something that is somewhere to the right of Genghis Khan, he says about me. But hardly yeah. fair. Yeah. No, I don't think it's fair, but, but that's he likes saying it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. And um, I like the way that you've brought humour to your communication of ideas. Like, I've seen quite a few of your videos on YouTube, and they always have a funny twist to them. But you can fit in quite a lot of information in a short space of time. And in one of our previous discussions on Facebook, I was telling you that... Um, I'd gone to the literature on economics and I was like, wow, I mean, no wonder our ideas of like free market and limited government have gone so badly. If this is the best they can do in terms of mm. communicating ideas in a way that's accessible, I veered away from writing or talking about economics publicly for quite a long time because I thought surely anyone who'd want to know knows already all the information's out there in podcasts. What I didn't realise is I'd stitched together all the information I'd gained from here, there and everywhere and some people just need an easy road of mm, entry yeah. where you can make a shortcut for them and make it accessible and I, I mean I commend you on being able to yeah. on being able because, to well, do that in such a skilled you. way. The 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 a lot of I spent ages. I think it's maybe my star sign or something. But I spent ages trying to condense mm. uh, ideas into as small a space as yeah. possible. And and I've got little rules I use. There are certain words that um, have become toxic, right. particularly to the left. Mm. Words like capitalism. What they understand as capitalism, mm. you and I would call crony capitalism. Yeah. That's what they think capitalism yeah. is. Markets is another frigate. free market. Yeah. yeah. And these kind of words, so I always try and avoid, wherever possible, mm. these words, so that these ideas are not stained with the kind of post-Thatcher reaction brush, if you see what I mean. Yes, and yeah. it's funny when you include that, oh, you must be to the right, right? All of these are just packages of ideas. What we call as right here is different from in America, but in either case, you know, okay, well, if you're for... If you're against abortion, you must also be for owning guns and you must be for this. And there are packages of ideas, the right, the left. And surely it is good to have a political philosophy underlying your ideas and you can draw ideas for that. Mm. But if we're going to talk about policies, then we can actually assess an idea or a position one by one and against the moral standards that we believe in. I mean... In everyday life, we don't hit people, we don't take their stuff. Of course, we don't call it that when the government does it. Now it suddenly becomes <laughs> war and taxation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the, the left... Sorry, Tom. Well, the, I was, was going to say, yeah. but, but do you, would you agree that the, our old, when guys, especially of our generation, I'm 49 you're, and you're, you're 40, 46, don't you? Yeah. yeah. 
guys of our generation and definitely our parents' generation, those old notions of left and right, those concepts of left and right are almost meaningless, I think, in the modern context. Would you agree with that? I certainly would. I mean, you know, in terms of policy, sometimes I sort of vaguely agree with the Labour Party, Mm -hmm. sometimes I vaguely agree with the Tories. Broadly speaking, I would say I'm towards the Tories on Mm -hmm. economic things and towards the Labour Party on, you know, socially just things. Yeah. but it's a much more handy definition, I think, is to think look at politics in terms of authoritarian and libertarian. Yeah. yeah. And and you know, Theresa May. I mean, I quite admire the strong decisions she's taken, but my goodness me, there is an authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she ain't no libertarian, bro. <laughs> she ain't that. <laughs> no. And um, you know, Corbyn, in his own ways, you know. Uh, you, you either wonder if he's a, he's a wonderful delegator or just incredibly incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing I liked about Corbyn was when he, he was he was talking across the house to David Cameron at one point, and they, uh, they were talking about Trident. Yeah. And Corbyn said to him, uh, "Will it be all right then for those people who don't agree with Trident to opt out for paying for it in their taxes?" And I thought, "Yes, Jeremy, maybe you're getting it." Now extrapolate. You know, why should people have to pay for things that they don't agree with, whatever they are? But of course he he didn't extrapolate, unfortunately. One concept that people don't understand and is and just let me backpack a little bit. So um, I wrote various books and then and both my books, the the focus of the book was if we want to fix everything, we've Mm. got to fix our system of money. Yeah. And so I wrote a book about a lot about gold and, and that was called Life After the State and then I wrote another book about Bitcoin because that was the obvious next logical thing. And then I was thinking, what should I write a book about next? And then I figured tax. And so and then I thought, well I'll do an Edinburgh show about tax and I'll write right. a book and I'll tie it all in. Okay. And then of course in writing about tax I've now become convinced that fixing tax is almost more important than fixing money. They 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 the two yeah, they go hand, hand in hand. Hand yeah. in hand. But I've read loads and loads of history of tax. And you know, tax is legitimate theft or forced theft or whatever you want to call it but and people think that you it it has to be compulsory but in ancient Greece they actually had a voluntary system of tax Mm -hmm. And what did it? What ended up? Well, America having? had a voluntary system of taxation to start with for most oh, of it? its history. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, okay. it's a relatively recent thing in America's history that people were compelled to pay tax, and it's still unconstitutional for to, for the government to tax income. Income. Yeah, know? no, that that I know, and I knew that income tax. It first came in. Well, it, it came in the north. One of the reasons the North beat the South in the Civil War is income tax. Yeah, because hmm. the the North levied an income tax. Uh, and the South, which has a much more kind of libertarian, mm. laissez-faire tradition, yeah. just didn't have the infrastructure. And the South sure. ran funds quicker than the North did. Yeah. And then it, income tax went away, and then it came in 1913. And then, but it was only really for like the top That's few right. percent. Yeah. Income tax only became payable for every man in, I think it was 1942 or 1943, in the, first, in the Second World War. And there's a fantastic song written by Irving Berlin, who one of the great American songwriters, mm. There May Be Trouble Ahead was one of his numbers. But this song goes, I paid my income tax mm. today. And one of, the, one of the little stanzas is, a thousand planes to bomb Berlin, they'll all be paid for and I chipped in. That certainly <laughs> makes me feel okay. And, but it, I mean, the clear thing is, you know, we need to pay for this war. Right. Yeah. And income tax yeah. is, is, behind almost every war there's a tax story. Yeah. In recent years, it's, it's usually an income tax story. And of course it would be incredibly hard to wage a war without the ability to tax. I yeah. mean, the war is the use of resources to destroy other resources, you know, a Absolutely. Bomb. So how are you going to profit from that unless someone else is paying for it? 
By the same token, when you look at the fact that taxation isn't voluntary, it's really um, quite astonishing that it's taken us this far to actually get something of a libertarian movement online. Because how much reason and evidence do you need to figure out the fact that if only one organisation, the government, is allowed to provide a service and they're going to force you to pay for it, whether you like it or not, you're going to get a pretty terrible service. I mean, <laughs> you know, the... the what, what is that cognitive dissonance? Why is it that so few people can grok the fact that forcing people at gunpoint to pay for a monopoly service is going to lead to poor value for money and poor quality of service? I, I don't know, but, but it's so it, it's so set in mm. how society is. That it's fossilised. Yeah, it's yeah. fossilised, exactly. People don't question it. And I tried, I mean, what you just said there, Anthony, was, was very well phrased. And I'm always a bit more... Um, uh, I try to do it a bit more, you know, because mm. you said if 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 there is a monopoly service mm. and you are forced to pay for it, that service will not be very mm. good. And my kind of, I was trying to be a bit more gentle because mm. I'm never quite sure. So my, I'll always go, and I'm not sure whether yeah. I'm right to do this, by the way. But I'll kind of go, well, what if the service you get for your money is no good? Well, you can't withhold right. payment. And I always be a bit more in the show. You may sure. notice. Yeah, yeah. And I think for the like, the hardcore libertarian, they want they want more more principle, maybe or something. They like that. want more more hardcore um, enunciation of ideas. Yeah. But I've always seen it as my mission to convert the undecided yes. middle but rather than well, preach I think to the. We need we need people communicating these ideas in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. If I was trying to. Uh, talk a left-wing person around, I'd use completely different appeals than if okay. I was trying to talk a right-winger around. So I think that your, you know, your videos and your show, which I, um, I'm excited to hear more about... Um, Where do people, though, why is it that people feel that it's some sort of moral duty and that it's, it, you know, it's like eating your greens or going for a run or... or having a cold shower, you know, it's inherently a good thing to pay tax and if you don't pay your tax, it's morally abhorrent. Where where does that come from? For me, I would think it's a moral duty personally to avoid paying as yeah. much tax to the government as you possibly can. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of agree and I, I don't know exactly where it comes from but we're seeing for now yeah. this grow, growing moral argument that you are a bad person yeah. if you avoid paying tax. Yeah. And and not just taxes, you know, direct taxes. We we the next kind of big tax mm. that is coming, in my opinion, is people's quantitative easing. Mm. And all quantitative easing is is basically an inflation tax, a yeah. debasement of money tax. And you know, you they, they, there's a massive argument already on the left, and we're probably going to have some kind of mansion tax as well. And um, the you know, and that you will be if you're opposed to it, you will be considered you know, a mm. bad person. You yeah. don't care about people's welfare. We need this money. The government finances like this. We need more money for the NHS and we need yeah. some of your money yeah. for the NHS. But they, they, they've they used this moral argument in the past. In, in medieval times, um, there was knights who not unreasonably didn't want to go to war mm. yeah. to fight for their king would have a tax levied yes. against them called the cowardice tax. Right. Right. So yeah. there's a clear use so of shaming, a, a moral... Shaming yeah. tactics, yeah. Exactly. And and so this won't be the first time that the, the moral argument gets applied. Okay. And in fact, it wasn't in, in all through Orwell's 1984 there were moral arguments why yeah. the government would always have to do what it did. So what is this, a, is this your first time at the fringes, isn't it? No, uh, no. I came here first time in 98... 
right. just doing open spots. And then 99, I did a 20-minute slot in a three-act and a compare show at the um, Café Royal. And the first solo show was 2000. Right. And I did another 2001, then I took a year off in 2002. And then I did another in 2003 and got divorced oh. in the middle of the festival. Right, okay. And then after that, I just kind of had young kids. and. Well, how was the reaction of the audience to you getting divorced? In the <laughs> <laughs> Really, well, I didn't really dwell on it too much. Yeah. It wasn't publicly. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't very good then, and and you know, I had some nice ideas and some nice things, but not. Um, I'm a much better comic now, right. and I'm having a much better time. This Can I say that every comic I spoke to loves your downfall uh, parody oh, on oh, okay. the, about the about the comics, about yeah. the comedians? It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's been done to death that other sure. type of thing, but that that is particularly good. Um, but for somebody that knows about economics, I mean, the, the fringe is notoriously, I mean, the, they say nobody makes any money yeah. at the fringe, right? I mean, would, would, is that generally true? or well, Unless you've got a machine behind you like the Gilded Balloon or whatever. No, well, I, it, I'm i doing two shows. I'm doing a show on the free fringe yep. where audiences come in for nothing. And pay and, for whatever they, if they you, think it's you, Can you plug that show? Sure, that's yeah. called The Upper Class Rapper. And it's oh. basically a posh person rapping. And that's a much, much funnier show okay. than the uh, than the tax show and, the where, and where can we catch you doing you can that? catch that at the Café Royale um, or the, it's actually called the Voodoo Rooms um, oh yeah we know uh, the Voodoo Rooms uh, above yeah. a restaurant called the Café Royale okay. and that's a really good show and it's going really well and even though it's free entry I will make money on that show not yeah. a lot I mean do they I pass make, the hat round at the end you pass the hat round yeah. and depending on how many you're in you make anything between I think the most I've made is like 180 quid and the least I've made is like 40 quid or something All like right. that so yeah. far so you know yeah. you'll make you, you make enough to cover your food and drink for a day and maybe have a bit of pocket money left over. The tax show, which is selling better, okay. it's almost, well, it's sold out pretty much every night, wow, yeah. which is very good, will lose money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's and, an economic uh, lesson in yeah, there somewhere. Well, there is. And, and actually, the economics of the free fringe are really interesting. And also, the, the economics of comedy. I... Uh, again, this is an, an article I'm trying to pitch to various publications. Nobody's picked it up, and they, that's because they lack vision. But um, <laughs> comedy is pretty much, or the live comedy circuit, is pretty much the single most libertarian existence there is. Yeah. You, If you look at the comedy circuit, you, there are gigs from the proverbial room above the pub right through to Wembley Arena. You know, massive, massive wealth right through to people working for absolutely nothing. And there is no government intervention of any kind on the comedy circuit. And so you have this huge variety of venues. You have these huge variety of businesses. There's no corporate might at all. The one corporate giant is Jonglers, and that keeps going bust. It's all small businesses. Um, There's no minimum wage. If there was a minimum wage... Mm. If you looked at the conditions that comedians start out working in, oh, you no, know, if no. the Guardian got hold out of that and and applied their logic that they apply yeah. to other businesses, you know, comedy would not last. Everyone is working for nothing. Yeah. Open spots are exploited. Yeah. Um, you don't get paid for gigs. You get the conditions are awful. You find yourself having to go miles and miles yeah. and sleeping in the most. Terrible then, then in America, some comedians actually have to pay to do them. Sure, to do them again. sure. Yeah. And but and but you know, but. Every comedian makes the choice to live through this this hardship yeah. because at the end of the thing there is that re- you know there is that wealth and fame and everything yeah. else. Now, if you, for example, had a minimum wage in comedy, 
you know, it's a really delicate infrastructure. Mm. And, you know, businesses, clubs go bust all the time, but another club comes along and it's constantly improving. And, you know, the circuit's going through a bit of a recession at the moment, yeah. which is a good thing. So certain acts are dropping out and doing other things. There's a lot of belt tightening. The acts that are staying in are improving their acts. Okay. They have to work for less money. But it's a constant, again, it's this constant improvement. Now, if you had a minimum wage, instantly all the open spot nights would disappear. Yeah. So there'd be no place where people can go to ply their trade and get good because no open spot night would be able to pay for it all the new material nights would disappear yeah, yeah. and these are like almost the most in, you know that's like the plankton yeah. in the whole eco thing yeah. and so it's this incredibly libertarian existence and it does not matter if you went to Eton or if you went yeah. to some grotty school yeah. down the road it doesn't matter if you're disabled it doesn't matter what accent you have it doesn't yeah. matter if you're English or foreign or just Scottish be or, funny it, exactly it's the only thing that matters and in fact it's almost an advantage to have something in inverted commas wrong with you it's an yeah. advantage yeah. to have a disability it's an advantage to have one leg or a stutter yeah. or or you know some terrible childhood or whatever it is or, mm -hmm. or even disability whatever it is you know there's guys with multiple sclerosis doing yeah. it it's there's the posh lords doing it, yeah. everyone from every walk of life. And the only thing, your currency is laughter. Yeah. Either the audience laughs at you or you don't. And in fact, often the funniest acts aren't the most successful because there'll be somebody else who's more driven or yeah. more thick-skinned. But why Nothing does Nothing matters yeah. except that you're funny. And yet, so it's this incredible free Why does it breed left-wing? Yeah. yeah. So, and you've got all this. And here is a glorious libertarian existence where meritocracies and everything, it all yeah. forms itself out. And... And it's so competitive. There is yeah. no business more competitive in the world than comedy. And yet, if I'm on the bill with you, I want to be the funniest guy on the night. You want to be on the funniest guy on the night. You want to be on the funniest guy. And despite this, there is an incredible camaraderie right. between yeah. all the comedians. Yeah. And so you've got all this. It's a wonderful free market existence. And, and yet, as you say, all comedians, bar a couple of enlightened folk, are crazy left-wing status. Because I can only think of you and Jeff Norcott, really. That's the only ones I can think of who you would call maybe even right of centre. Yeah, there Everybody are a else. few, there are a few, but the, those who are, who think like that, tend to keep their politics right. themselves. Right. It's the left-wing guys are very, yeah, I'm in favour of this and Guardian yeah, this and, and Isn't David that, Cameron a twat? All you know, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And you'll get round of applause. Yeah. George Bush is thick. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but, and, and the guys who don't have those politics. So what you look out for is a, is a guy who, you go, what's, what's his politics? He never talks about his politics. They tend to be the ones. Right. You know, so, and it's amazing. So you've got, you know, comedy is supposed to be a place of free mm. free speech and there's incredible diversity and everything except opinion. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, we had we had a guest on uh, just the other day who was talking, his, his show, uh, The Free Fringe, is called This Is Not A Safe Space. And, okay. that's, the, and that's the very thing that, that he was talking about is that how... You have to be very careful about what you say. Yeah. I mean, you in, in in Russia, you can actually get away with as long as you don't slag off Putin, you can get away with saying more and on in, in comedy and on stage sure. than you can in, in actually in the UK, especially on the on the university and college circuit. I I um, voted Brexit and yeah. I voted. I uh, wrote quite a few articles about Brexit. And you, there was race, a lot you racist, you yeah. <laughs> immediately, and, yeah, yeah, all everything, all that, yeah. and and so. But fun enough, I I took that stance that we've mm. described, the very gentle, not aggressive, yeah. not I didn't mention immigration because for me it was yeah, not, it was nothing not, to do with it. Wasn't, yeah. it wasn't one of the issues. And um, 
Although, on the immigration subject, if you can't have open borders and a general welfare, generous welfare state, I would you've agree. got to choose between one or the yeah, other. Yeah. But that's, that's, another, yeah, that's another argument. Yeah. Um, the, so, and I wrote lots of general arguments, and it was funny because I got this kind of grudging thing of, oh, actually, Frisbee knows what he's talking about, right. and he's arguing for Brexit, and there was quite a lot of respect. Oh, and I got a few people saying, uh, you know, uh, the only comedian who's talking voting for, for Leave is, I think Norcott voted Leave, but I certainly did. Yeah. And... But lots of people go, and but he's also a financial commentator. But there was this kind of, right. you know, respect that I that I quite enjoyed. Um, the Guardian wouldn't punish any of my stuff. Mm. And but the there was I, I'm living in a flat up here with Andy Zaltzman, who's a political comic, right? And um, you know the deluded deluded Guardian reader, right. and uh, he has a gig called Political Animal on on the night before Brexit. Yeah, he got me to come and do a gig. So I thought I did a some of my gentle political stuff that I did in the tax show and then I did like three minutes on why I was voting leave and I gave them ten reasons in three minutes and I got to reason nine and they were like oh yeah this and then on reason ten I gave was to do with um, fisheries policies crazy fisheries policy that's created all this absolutely. and some guy in the audience just went bananas about fishing fisheries policy and this is a this is 90% left wing thing and we ended up having this huge like, row about fisheries, mm. uh, EU fisheries policy. And, but, you, you know, and, and I'd stormed the gig up until that point. Yeah. And then I had my kind of storming closing song, which kind of went okay. But it was, it was amazing how just angry this guy yeah. came because I was, you know, was a, and most of the audience were on his side. Yeah. Because it was just a very entrenched mm. metropolitan Remain crowd. Mm. Yeah. And and, where, and where, it, where was this gig? Uh, it was on the South Bank, right, right at the National Theatre. Okay. <laughs> the 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 I mean, it's as fucking left wing as it gets. <laughs> but, but that kind of not like old school Labour left wing, you know, modern Metropolitan Guardian left wing. Yeah. And, and, but I, I came away from the gig and Andy was like really pleased and he was going, that's really good to finally have a right wing guy say some of the things the opposite. And I was going, yeah, but I don't want to do that again, mm. Andy. I don't want to just go there and be shouted at. Yeah, and so, like a you know, I mean, that's why Farage, you, you, you may, may or not like him, but the guy is a legend because he ev- he's just for the whole he life, yeah. he's just said it and said it and said it and he's been shouted at and smeared and had, I don't know how he, that's probably why he's retired, he's just sick of all the smearing that's yeah. gone on. Mm. Oh, but, but what thick skin that yeah. guy must have to be able to do that. But where do you keep going now? Because it's like they've, 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 they've achieved they're possibly the most successful political yeah. party of all time. I mean, they had one policy really, yeah. and they got they got there in the end. Unbelievable. Well, yeah. they haven't. We haven't got there. Well, yet. exactly. We're not out the woods yet. But where does UKIP go uh, without Farage? Um, it's rudderless, and Carswell doesn't want to be the leader. He's. It's a shame that well, Carswell, Stephen Wolf was looking good, but yeah, Wolf's all right. He's a nice guy. I met him once. Right. But he's no Farage. Right. And it, that party needs Farage. Mm. Right. And so I don't, I don't know where it goes. But it could, Is there any real need for them to exist, so to speak? Because if, you know, they, they've got, if it goes ahead and the Brexit goes ahead. Yeah, there is. Okay. Because he is the champion of, Farage has become the champion of the working man. And it is, there's something very traditional about Farage. Right. And you may, may dislike it. You know, some, a lot of people dislike it, but he, you know, he represents... Maybe not a Scottish thing, but there's a, a kind of old school Englishness that you still find outside of the cities, mm-hmm. where there's a clear, I, you know, the, nobody knows who the English are, but but outside of the cities, there is this clear English identity 
you know, and there's a in touch with the countryside, in touch with the land, and and you know, yeah. beer and pubs and cricket yeah. and all these kind of things, and these people felt that they weren't, you know, shyers basically. They yeah. felt that they'd been overlooked for decades, and previously they had some representation yeah. in the in the Conservative Party, and also yeah. they had some representation in the Labour Party, yeah. and they felt completely lost and unrepresented. Well, funnily and enough, spoke for yeah. Them. Funnily enough, when we went to the. Uh, the Mark Thomas gig. Yeah. One of the things that he did say was that in his home, uh, not his hometown, where the Red Shed was, this is this thing's called the Red Shed, yeah. and it was this hub of uh, trade union activity and so forth. He said that on the day of the of the Brexit vote, that he'd never seen they'd never seen anything like it. They were queuing round the block, and you know people were saying, "I've been voting Labour all my life," or other. You know, they've turned their back on us. They've turned their back on working class people. And today they get a kicking, you know, and and that's it. Was nothing to do with racism yeah. or immigration. It was just we're just sick and tired of the same old, same old. I mean, that, did it you was pick big up on two that? fingers to authority. Yeah, did um, it was a great night. That <laughs> Brexit. Night I was I was great. like, yeah, we were I, shocked. I, he texted I, me. Yeah. yeah, my my text was holy fuckballs, we won. <laughs> <laughs> it was just incredible, and I, you know, I'm mates with Steve Baker, right, and. You know, on the and he was like the chairman. He was he's like the big um, guy who organises all the he whips all the uh, all the Tory rebellions. He's a really nice man, passionately libertarian. He's one of the there's probably two, maybe three hardcore libertarians in in Parliament: Steve Baker, Douglas Carswell, and maybe Jacob Rees-Mogg. Jacob Rees-Mogg is more of a kind of classical liberal. Right, but he's basically a libertarian. So there's those three. You got Daniel Hannan, who's but he's, but he's not in. He's yeah. not in. He's yeah, not he's in. But in in the actual House Commons, there's yeah. those three. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, and and Steve Baker. Anyway, and he, he's and he said to me, uh, I, I went for. I ran into him in the street on the Monday before the vote on the Thursday, and I said, "Let's go for a pint. You need a, you need to just walk away from it all for a bit." And he said, "All right, yeah." And we went for a pint, and he goes, um, "You know, Leave's going to win," and I was going, "No, it isn't." Mm-hmm. He said, "Yeah, we didn't Leave, think so either." Leave is going to win. You don't, you don't know what we're seeing, you know, behind the behind the scenes, and um, and you know the only thing that can save it for that and and they've seen the postal votes and mm. people can't, it's not allowed to be known what the postal votes say. Yeah. But Cameron and Osborne both know that the postal votes has gone dramatically mm. in favour of uh, Leave, and there's no way that. Sorry. I, they, nobody was allowed to see the postal votes, but the rumour was yeah. that the, the postal votes had, had gone this way, and but and that is why Steve is going. That is why Cameron and Oswald both look so terrified, mm. and they're getting so aggressive about this mm. because they both realise they fucked up. Yeah, and 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 Leave's going to win. The only thing that can save it for Remain is is the the Joe Cox murder. That's the one thing that might swing it back round. Yeah, that was and all the good. markets thought that. If you look at the, what the markets did after the announcement, that all the pound went rallied and the stock markets all rallied, and they thought it was much that was game yeah. over. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Sunderland came in. Uh, the Sunderland vote came in, and it was clear yeah. there was a brilliant guy on Twitter who was one of the statisticians for Leave, and he yep. he was doing these tweets. And this again, it's a libertarian thing. He was so far ahead of the BBC. Mm. It was one. So I was following this guy on Twitter and watching the BBC, and you just realised how far behind the BBC was. And he was going for Leave to win in Sunderland. We needed fifty-one point three, and we got fifty-two point four. 
So we got one and a half percent more than we needed, or whatever the numbers mm. were. And then he did that. He did that with Newcastle. He didn't do it with Gibraltar. And he did it with Newcastle, and he was done And I suddenly looked at that, and I went, "Blimey, um, Leeds going to win." Right. And it was just clear then. And you could still, at that Sunderland vote cake game in, you could still get a bet that if you put um, a pound down, you would lose five pounds and make £95 right. if leave won. The, the odds were still so skewed in favour at one stage. And and um, so I, I just looked at that and I thought, and I put a bet on the pound to go down and I put a bet on leave and it was and I just sat there and then watched the whole thing wow. unfold and it was just, what a wonderful night. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed But it was that. brilliant just to see how far, and he was like, he had a thousand followers, this guy, and he was mm. just tweeting the leave probability things and he was just so far ahead of the TV. But it's incredible to watch yeah. as well that the uh, it's the, I've never seen so many people crying in their soup. I mean, they mm. just it's like they really the the anger in the Remain camp oh. at being defeated and, and all the, that stuff about uh, the, the Steve lied. Oh, so house prices have gone down by twenty percent, have they? The economy's imploding. <laughs> I thought interest rates were yeah. going to go have to go up if we voted Eve. Oh, they've gone down. You know, all this lying. And yeah. yet, apparently, leave with the Lions. Mm. Yeah. And then they're all going, oh, well, where's our £350 million that we were promised for the NHS? Well, A, we haven't left yet. Yeah. And B, nobody who's in the leave campaign is it has any kind of power to make those choices anyway. That's true. Yeah. What they said is the economics are, and with that money, that money could be spent. You know, so anyway, what a fantastic night. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was all on my own. I ca- I've played football and I've been invited to one of the uh, parties. In te- it was actually the Leave.eu party. A okay. friend of mine was going yeah. to invite me. That was the one where Farage did the victory for decent people speech. And I was, I was going to go and I hurt my ankle playing football. I thought, oh, I, can't, I can't be bothered to go in and just watch uh, Remain lose. It'll, uh, sorry, Remain win. It'll be too yeah. depressing. So I sat down at home and I thought, I'll just watch the first one come in. I cracked over the beer and then... Oh my God! I know. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't sleep. I think it's the first time in my life that I've ever. I mean, I I was politically agnostic for a long time. I never even bothered voting anymore because I thought it was just no point. This is the first time in a long time, maybe even ever, that I voted and felt that I actually made a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I remember. I was 1997. I was still deluded in those days, but I voted Tony Blair in 1997. Okay. And and I was like, when that landslide happened mm. that was like great I can remember that election very clear and I remember the one that uh, Kinnock uh, was expected to win right. and then the do you remember the exit poll the Kinnock was expected to win it was the one that major won yeah and uh, there was the exit poll and Kinnock's face suddenly when I watched that with my dad and my dad said oh my god he kept talking about the expression on Kinnock <laughs> and because it was but, but, but that but that and that was great and I remember you see my 1997 I remember Michael Portillo losing his seat oh, and that yeah. was one of the I just hated Portillo of course <laughs> I'd rather like him now it was great <laughs> but, but at the time I was just caught up in the whole yeah. kind of national yeah. dislike of Portillo what, what, sorry. do you think we were going to get another electoral surprise with Trump because I was sure he was going to lose but more recently, I think he's probably going to take it in America, actually, especially now he's um, tr- at least appealing in some capacity to like working people. And um, he's not selling the normal Republican line, which is cut taxes, 
uh, less regulation although he does say those things he's really trying to appeal to to working people in manufacturing absolutely he is a he is appealing to the disaffected mm. overlooked exploited white working class american mm-hmm. and that is a huge voting majority and he's presented by the left as this beast mm. and people and don't get me people, wrong i don't trust them and i don't he ain't no libertarian brother no he certainly like, isn't no. Uh, and I, but I've watched his speeches. He's charismatic, man. Yeah. He's a good speaker, much yeah. better than Hillary. When he says something, it goes in. It hits a nerve. Whereas yeah. Hillary, you just think, no, you're just trotting out uh, generic stuff. Yeah. But you've been told to say. And the so he chimes with people for sure. He does. But it's not just this disaffected white mm. working class vote. It's the fact that by voting for Trump, you are effectively a bit like Brexit giving the two fingers yeah. to yeah. everything that is. And I think a lot of people just want to vote for Trump. A vote for Trump is a vote yeah. for the two fingers. I mean, and, and again, it's amazing how people see through the bullshit. I, I've been thinking a lot. And so to, to answer your question is, I didn't think Leave would win. I was convinced Remain would win. Mm. Rather like happening in the Scottish yeah, election. We, I thought there would be a lot of noise and then it would be 54-46 or something yeah. like that in favour of... Uh, leave, and I, but that's because I'm in my little metropolitan mm. bubble, and I didn't realise how pissed off people are. And as a result of that, I the odds you can get on Trump, I haven't actually don't follow it that closely, but he seems to be doing gaff after gaff, and his odds are f- falling, falling, yeah. falling. But he's won the Republican Party, and his now if you put a pound down uh, with my spread betting company, you'll lose eighteen pounds if. Hillary wins. Do you want to plug your spread betting company? No, I don't. So they're <laughs> equal. Um, but, but you'll win eighty-two pounds. So that's an eighteen-pound loss okay. against an 18, 82 pound win. Mm. So I think that's worth a bet. Mm. So I've I've yeah. put a. I've, in fact, I bought Trump the day before yesterday. Okay. Oh, well, you went to see Bill Burr uh, the other night. Oh, I saw him. I was there as well. Oh. Were you? Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. We went the second night, I think. Okay. And uh, I actually fell asleep. Oh, really? oh, <laughs> oh how could you do that? No, he's brilliant. He's I brilliant. Mean, but I just was exhausted. I thought. I mean, yeah. the, the, the gorilla thing yeah. was one of the funniest things yeah. I'd seen in yeah. the line for the gorilla thing. But he, he said a true thing, I think, about Trump, which was he talks like a wrestler. Yeah. yeah. Or like a, you know, like a boss. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to build. He's not going to build a wall. He's yeah. not going to do. He's, he's, he's playing to the gallery and yeah. he's talking a big fight and he's appealing to that. that sure, and Americans yeah. love that stuff. Yeah. They like big talk. Yeah, mm. but so it's, it's the devil in the deep blue sea. I know people like Walter blocks through his his his, his, his way into uh, into Trump. But he PJ O'Rourke says, bizarrely has said yeah. he's come out in favour of Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, PJ O'Rourke has. PJ O'Rourke has said that. He's, yeah. I know. I know what's going yeah. on in the I world. I rated a documentary about her behind the scenes one when she was saying. Well, why isn't the woman she in is jail? An evil woman. Why is she not in jail? Can anybody answer that? No, I can't. And she's a narcissist and God knows what else. Well, you plugged that documentary that you voiceovered. Oh, what, the one about Hillary? Yeah. Oh, it was a long time. I can't actually remember what it's called. I think it was okay. called Inside the Secretary of State or Behind the... the, the Inside the... Uh, behind the Secretary of State or something like that. But it was, yeah. it was on Nat, um, Nat Geo about five or six years ago. It wasn't anything I wrote or anything. I just voiced it, but... But I remember thinking, oh, you're an awful woman. Well, I mean, it yeah. burns my toast black, especially when she, she sort of flaunts her, her feminist credentials. And you go, how feminist were you when your husband was lying about affairs that he'd had with interns? You know, yeah. uh, you know, where, where was your feminist credentials then? You were absolutely silent, you know? I, I always yeah. felt rather sorry for him, and now I think that when she was having all those affairs, but now I understand what motivated them. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's... it's 
from a libertarian perspective, it's not a great choice in the American general no. election. I mean, um, um, I think in a way on foreign policy, Hillary's a lot more dangerous than Trump is because the anti-war movement goes to sleep in America under yeah. Democrats. So if Trump tries to do something on foreign policy, there'll be pushback. If Hillary doesn't, does, there might well be crickets, as there has been with Obama, who's bombed eight Muslim countries, uh, as there was when Clinton bombed Kosovo and, you know, uh, blew up a medical factory in Sudan that supplied half of the place's, you know, medical supplies. Uh, no, no pushback from the left or almost none. In terms of economics, there's he's, he's got a lot to... Um, he seems to think that China giving them, giving America cheap goods is bad for Americans somehow. I mean, I, I know, okay, well, we're not manufacturing them. Well, make better stuff then, America, yeah. you know. Yeah, and uh, But I think what he's trying to do is an old trick, which is get people to say, look, there's an enemy over there that the, the government's not doing anything about. China, they're devaluing their currency. Not that we've ever devalued our currency. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's rousing people up by saying there's an enemy in China. Mm. He's a great tactician. Um, however, when it comes down to it, he has said some good things about um, Western intervention, about getting out of NATO, and um, he ha he has said some good things about lowering regulations and things like that. So I guess it's going to be a close race, and we'll just need to get some popcorn. <laughs> Exciting. Shall we hear more about your show? Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well. So, so tell everybody where, it, where it's on, first of all. Okay, yes. so um, the, the show about tax is on at the Gilded Balloon, and it's on at four o'clock in the afternoon, and it's called Let's Talk About Tax. I should really have bought a flyer, mm -hmm. but I didn't think of yeah, it. Yeah, poster in the background. And, the um, anyway. You know, there are, it's, it's quite a funny, you, you guys saw it. The yeah, yeah. It's, it's a funny show, there's quite a few jokes in it. I do, I've taken a lot of traditional pub jokes and reversioned them with a financial and economic theme. And, you know, I make a... And I think you did. You learn quite a lot watching the show. Well, I tell, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I learned. I picked up on something and it astounded me. Um, you had, and I just want to check the stats because there was a stat up there about uh, the defence budget. Oh yeah. Comparative to what we we mm. raise in revenue, and it was something like ten percent. And I thought that can't be right. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it uh, seemed very, very low on that pie chart. Yeah, yeah. Is that taking into account like the war in Iraq and uh, uh, Afghanistan, or is that just the general military spending? Whatever's on that pie chart will be right. Right. Um, and it was probably military spending. But on one of them, I think I might have put defence and police in the same right. thing. Right. To and, and as low as ten percent. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's not. We don't spend that much on it. Really, big, I mean the, that, the I, big, I find the that big expenses staggering. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the big ones are uh, uh, pensions. Pensions is the the killer. Yeah. one pound in every five. NHS and then welfare and education. Those are the four, like, killer Diggies. ones. Yeah. And if we didn't have NHS, uh, and it, uh, the one I say about pensions is that many of those pension obligations were taken on before you had a right right to vote on them. Yeah. You know, it's taxation without representation, but NHS and education uh, and welfare, which in my opinion would all be better if they were 
looked after by the free market yes. uh, mm-hmm. and cheaper. And they would cost uh, a fraction, a fraction of the price sometimes and infinitely People say more something like for, from every pound you get taxed to, for welfare only like 33 pence or something like that actually goes to poor people. The Red Cross, who are one of the least efficient charities, yeah. manage 45% yeah. in aid. Things like Oxfam and Barnardos, they manage up in the 80% yeah. of how much money actually goes to helping people. So you talk a lot about how the government has increased the price of houses. Yeah. If we could remove that, um, those incentives, um, the printing of money, the quantitative easing, all the regulations about who can and cannot build, withdraw, um, the the multiple occupancy license, the height restrictions, if we could get houses to come down, all of our welfare spending and pension spending and stuff like that yeah. would fall as well anyway because we need to give those people sure. less money to look after them. Sure, sure, housing benefit is a massive, uh, mm. is a massive story. Yeah, yeah. Please go on. Oh, I just, I, I can't, I haven't got the, the figure to, to pluck to mind that I know that uh, a lot of money is needlessly spent on housing mm. benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and that's and some you know that is either uh, you know a lot of that money ends up going to private landlords as well. Exactly. It's so it's a transfer, yeah. a transfer of wealth from uh, people who don't have property to yeah. people who do have property. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, what made you want to do this show? Well, it, again, it kind of it, 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 because tax is this incredibly important subject the whole tax is power Mm. Um, you know whether it's kings or emperors or governments if they lose their tax revenue they lose their power and tax the way a society is taxed speaks volumes about that society Mm. tax is behind everything that we do tax is how you shape people how they behave they're a product of their tax systems tax is how you shape the shape entire societies and you know reforming tax is one of the few ways by which politicians really could Yep. change the world and all they really do is just tinker around the edges right. you know the core not taxing income taxing other things instead of income uh, would make such a dramatic change to the way wealth is distributed in society it's this vast vast subject mm. and it's you know I look for simple cures mm. to all you know all these problems there's often a zero patient if you can get the zero patient then everything else right. the knock on stuff and for me, the zero patients are our system of money and our system of tax. And if you can change those, yeah. then everything else follows from there. Itself, so yes, so tax is this huge subject. But if you go on Amazon, you look for books on tax. There's nothing. There's one book called The Joy of Tax by a left-wing economist called Richard Murphy, mm-hmm. who um, is very bright and he is a machine. He's so mm-hmm. productive, the amount of um, words he writes. I follow his blog. Right. My God, he's loony left. You know, somewhere to the left of Corbyn, and uh, but the, so there's him, and he's doing it. You know, uttering the left side, and he's very good at what he does, despite sure. the fact that his politics are diametric and most opposed to mine. And that's it. Mm. Yeah. There's just nothing. And if you go on YouTube, type in taxation. There's, no, there's nothing about it. It's all like how how to pay your income tax, or okay. how to get your tax bill done, or uh, uh, outrage at some foreign tax yeah. haven. And there's nothing about. You know, tax being a way that you can fix society. Well, you better finish your book quickly since you've just now told everyone what your niche in the market is. I'm going to write it. That's my job for September. I mean, how, how much of your audience do you think you're just singing to the choir, and how much? I mean, how many people in there do you think are 
I don't know. Because right. when I do my question at the beginning, mm. who thinks we pay too much tax and who thinks we don't pay enough, it's usually about 50-50. Right. Mm. There's a lot of accountants come to that mm. show. There's, a lot right. of, there's quite a big grey contingent. But accountants need a life as well. Yeah. No, no, they do. But I mean, you know, it's their business and it's yeah. the first time they've seen a comedy show about taxation. And obviously in Edinburgh, it's a financial centre. There's yeah. a long tradition of finance. Yeah. So it is of interest to these people. But, you know, I wish more kind of politically active people were coming because, right. you know... I'm, I'm, yeah, because it's important. It's extremely yeah, important. Yeah, I think so. But if you do, if everything else is kind of tinkering around the edges yeah, unless you yeah. actually tackle taxation. Yeah, and, yeah, it really is. And and so... But anyway, it's it, it's selling out every day, Good which you. most people don't do at Edinburgh Festival. So that's, yeah. that's very positive. And... It's what should we call it? Infotainment. You will learn. Stuff. It well is entertaining that. and it is informative, and I definitely recommend um, everyone who's watching this or listening to it on iTunes get down to get down to Dominic's show. Yeah. Now you do have a sol- a proposed solution um, to the tax problem and the spending problem in this country. Would you like to give the sure. quick Just quickly one value? Yeah. My solution is land value tax. Now, when we tax income, we are taxing the wealth that is earned. Uh, We're taxing productivity. Instead, we should tax what we use, what we consume. We should tax the wealth that is unearned. Nobody made land. Nature gave it to us. By building or farming or mining it, you've improved it. But the land itself was always there. So we look at the unimproved value of land, and that's very easy to assess. And not just land, but broadcast spectrums, airspace, uh, mineral wealth. You know, why should the oil under the sands of Saudi Arabia belong to a few princes? Mm. It was unearned wealth that should have belonged to everyone. And if you want the right to occupy a plot of land, in other words, for that plot of land to be yours, and you want the government to protect your title to that property, then a rent needs to be paid to the community that reflects the value of that land. Because it's the needs of the community that have given the land value. And that sounds kind of very idealistically communist, quite left-wing socialist. And Milton Friedman, who is the granddaddy of right-wing economists, he described it as the least bad tax. And... You know, we had the passing of the Duke of Westminster the day before yesterday. The person, by the way, if you had land value tax in the UK, the person who paid the most is the Queen. Yeah. Yeah. She earns the most of it. And then the Duke of your neighbour, the Duke of Beaulieu, or the Duke of Buccleuch. Duke of Buccleuch, yeah. Do you, how do you say I, I, I usually say the Duke of Buccleuch, but I don't Buccleuch. know if I'm actually, yeah. Um, I think Buccleuch, I think if you're English, you might say Beaulieu. But okay, Buccleuch, yeah. I like the way you said it. I think <laughs> I'm And the Duke of Athol, and this chap, Captain Alwyn Farquharson, who I've never heard of. <laughs> And But we had the passing of the Duke of Westminster. Now, his son is set to, and who is 24, is set to inherit £9 billion, or a wealth of £9 billion. Now, that Duke of Westminster's estate, that was built in the early 18th century mm. yeah. through the exploitation of another tax subsidy, which is the Corn Laws, which is basically right. the protection that stopped corn from overseas coming into the UK so that UK farmers could sell their corn at an inflated rate. Yeah. And... Uh, a few landowning families made a great deal of money out of the Corn Laws, one of which was the estate of Westminster. And they built, one of the areas where they had a lot of land was in London, which wasn't built on at the time, and they built Belgravia and large parts of West London. Okay. And, you know, there were lots of different landowning families, and inheritance tax mm-hmm. ruined most of them, post-war inheritance tax. But the Duke of Westminster did a Google, and he exploited... 
uh, a tax loophole, mm. uh, as has the Queen and the Duke of Buccleuch and uh, and uh, the Duke of Athol. You know, they all pass their land from one generation to the next mm. through the system of trusts, which again is fine. But while the rest of us have to pay inheritance tax and they don't, it means that they remain incredibly yeah. rich and the rest of us, you know, you work all your life and then suddenly you give half it back to the tax man. Yeah. Not half it, but you know what yeah. I mean. And so it is inherently unjust and it means mm. that a few landed people keep hold of all this land. Yeah, they land bank. This yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah, and you know, Battersea Power Station is a good example of land banking. You know, all these building companies, they just sit on land and watch it appreciate. And that's the thing, the Duke of Westminster owns half of London. Nobody else is allowed to build anything because of planning right. laws so yeah. he's been effectively awarded a monopoly that's unbelievable yeah and now 65 million people in the UK 60 yeah. million acres there's enough for an acre each right and that includes kids pretty much right. but of the 65 million people in the UK fewer than 6,000 own more than 70% of land mm. so it is the most unequal distribution of the basic wealth that is land yes and so what my argument is is instead of paying tax on your income which is wealth that is earned, you pay tax on the land you own. Mm. You own, And the reason why it's so beneficial is firstly, it's your, your uh, incentivizing production, yeah. because you're not paying, you don't have to pay a tax, you're not taxing production, so you incentivize it. You, it is a tax that is voluntary. You do not have to pay this tax if you don't want to, you just simply don't own land or sell the land to someone else who is prepared to. Um, most landowners, by the way, receive subsidy yeah. on yes. top of everything else Shopping. for the land that they own. And that's, that's another reason why we got out of the EU. Yeah. So you've got, it's a tax that is clear. Our tax code is the longest tax code in the world. Most people don't realise it, but effectively you work 22 years without pay in order to honour your side of the contract at the heart of society, to cover your share of all the things that the government gives us. Um, and... All the complexity in our tax code creates inequality because some people have got the resources to find the loopholes and other people's don't. Mm. And so one group pays tax and another doesn't. Um, this land value tax is clear. The amounts payable on each parcel of land are clear and visible. And so it's, it's voluntary, it's clear, mm. it doesn't take a lot of administration. It's um, a tax that is impossible to evade. The land is here. Yeah. It is not in the Cayman mm. Islands. There are no loopholes. And... It is a tax whereby you can hold your government to account. Because if a government is spending too much, it will quickly have to put up its tax rates. Mm. Remember, yeah. there's no other tax. There's only land value tax. And it will put up, and so government spending will be visible. They can't hide it in the yeah. way that they do today. And there's a, there's another reason why it's so uh, beautiful, but I can't remember but, what but it who, is. Who, who values the land? Who, who makes that decision? You, you, need, the you need government-employed assessors. Okay. And the way, the, the, the simple way to value land, you value land based on, you know, the permission it has, its location, resources. Um, the resources, you, you know, one way to do it is, let's say you have a, a, a plot of land that is an acre, and if that, or let's just, let's use a much smaller plot, a quarter of an acre, and if that land is uh, in, uh, what's a, you know, a, a poor part of Glasgow, say. Uh, a house on that plot of land yeah. would, might be worth, I don't know, £50,000. But the same house on a plot of land in the centre of London might be worth £5 million. Yeah. Mm. And, but the, the build cost of the house is the same. So mm. effectively, the yeah. land value of, is, is uh, what did I say, £4.5 million. Yeah. So mm. the land value of that London thing is 
four million four hundred and fifty thousand mm. pounds as opposed to the fifty thousand pounds. So there, that that's a, a simple way to get your land value, and it's quite easy to assess. You just work it out based on. Uh, the neighbouring land values, comparing land values around the country. You know, there'll be algorithms and spreadsheets that do yeah. it. And the only administration is assessing each... each Once you've got through the, the initial problem of working yeah. out how much each part of land in the country is worth, the, you just have to... Every year you just go back and say, has this bit of land gone up or gone mm. down? Yeah. It's very easy and to I do. What it appeals to me is, well... It creates a buyer's market for land, which means if you're if you're on the far left and you have a communist persuasion, you can go and get your land pretty cheap with your buddies and set up a commune. Sure. If you're an anarchist and you want to opt out of the system and just get your solar panels and your compost toilets and your you know uh, generator and live off the grid, off the grid yeah. then you're able to do that, and um, it means that people aren't so locked into everything they have to do. There's so many gatekeepers, mm. the government, and all the, never mind the money, which is considerable, but the time that is spent of all these um, lobbyists, um, accountants, lawyers, uh, around tax evasion yeah. and, and things like that, they can actually go out and get real jobs yeah. now, helping people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it seems, uh, it does sound to me like the least bad taps yeah. and uh, I really appreciate your illustration of that for us one maybe last question before we sure, wind up uh, quickly who's going to win the comedy award this year and is it wired is it is it normal do they know in advance usually who they're going to give it to they or? I think there's a lot of confirmation but I don't think it's rigged right um, there's certainly a lot of lobbying that will go on by the top agents and so on okay but I don't think it's rigged but um and I really don't know who's going to win it. Probably maybe James Acaster, because he always seems to get nominated and never wins. Okay. Sam Simmons won it last year. There'll be a couple of surprises. Um, Have you any sort of ones that you've seen that you think's maybe in the I've ring? watched one show, okay. which was Bill Burr, and okay. I fell asleep. <laughs> I've been so deep in my own show. So my finger really isn't on the pulse. Yeah. To be honest, I am fantasizing. I'm having to fight myself. Because I'm fantasising that I'm going to be in the frame right. of one of my shows. Who maybe, knows? maybe especially after this. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah. upper class rap is funnier, <laughs> so that maybe that. But it, but it's too kind of this. There's no. It's had no publicity. But but so I don't know. Um, but I think what happened last year, the show that won it was Sam Simons, and that was a great show. Okay. But I I watched all the Perrier nominated shows last year, and it was a really. It was almost like the best roster of shows I've ever seen. There were so many good shows. Um, and he had like Sam Simmons, who was kind of quite quirky. Then he had this guy Seymour Mace. Seymour Mace could win it this year. He's, right. a, he's a good comedian, but his Seymour is so left field and wacky. Right. And then you had um, a mind guy, uh, and then you had uh, this guy Joseph Morpurgo. He might be in it as well. Right. His show last year was fantastic. Lots of uh, multimedia, yeah. and so there was a real variety. And Sarah Kendall, who was just you know pure stand up. And so there was a real kind of roster of different aspects of comedy. And Sam just had a bit of everything. So it was a real, almost like a committee decision. Yeah. Because it kind of ticked all the boxes. And so it was a, even though his show was brilliant, I'm not knocking him, it was like a compromise mm -hmm. between all the other ones. It was a real classic decision by a committee. Okay. But so I don't know who's going to win this mm. year, but... but all those names that I've just said will be in the frame. Nish Kumar might be in there as well. Right, all right. Which would be a... 
a blow against libertarians the world over. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, look. So, uh, plug your show one more time yeah. so that everyone Let's talk about tax it. in the Gilded Balloon and the upper class rapper in the Voodoo Rooms in the evening. So, check out the fringe. Yeah. Dominic, once again, thanks so much uh, My pleasure. For, for, for coming on. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you very much, Thank guys. So much uh, uh, really nice to meet I you both. And had a great time. Yeah. Thanks Thank for uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, folks. Uh, it's been great, and always remember: be a libertarian. Don't be a lefty, and don't be a righty. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. I, I had Thank a you. Really great time. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself.